Welcome again to the Calvary Podcast. I am Joel Vaught, the Children's Ministry Director here. I've got Bobby Mason, Associate slash Worship Pastor. Hi. Hi. Riley Parker, our Communications Director. That'd be Hello. Riley Ann Parker. Yes, oh, indeed. No. You can just call me Riley. Riley Ann Elizabeth Parker. Mm-hmm. All of those. And David O'Dell, our Senior Pastor here at Calvary. Joel, can we talk about your shirt? The shirt you're wearing is not what I expected from the Dalles. Your, Joel is wearing. I know that's this is great radio because everybody <laughs> can see it. It's a, it's a red shirt, very Marx, Karl Marx ish, and it says socialism right on it. So, What's but the it's the bottom, bottom is the What's kicker. The I can't read that. It says you make it, they take it. Oh, you make it, they take it. So it's an anti-socialism T-shirt. Very so much. So in five seconds, this just became a political podcast. Yeah, we're gonna have to classify this one differently, I guess. I think it's a blessing. Honestly, because most times I come upon Joel, he's not wearing a shirt at all. So That's this true. is a step forward, I think, in the right direction. Yeah. And, it, you know, if anyone thinks that we're a little too free and loose in our podcast, just we on Sunday when we did the live stream. So Calvary people, just so you know, the quality uh, of Joel and Bobby, I offered either one of them 100 bucks if when we came out of a worship song that one of them was not wearing a shirt on the live stream for Sunday morning. And they both declined. And I was ready to pay. I appreciate that about you. I mean, right now, $100 would go a long way. It would. I think as most people saw on that Sunday morning podcast, the camera adds 50. A couple hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the camera adds at least 50. <laughs> to everyone except for show. Joel. Uh, Joel. Yeah, it takes 10 like a model. Joel, but I don't fine. know how that works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know either. Sorry, Joel. Go ahead with your great intro. <laughs> we wanted to take the time during this episode to get to know you a little bit more, David. Um, this would be something that you would be able to do from the pulpit every Sunday. We don't have that opportunity right now, so yeah. we want to get into a little bit more about who you are, uh, and maybe in this format we can provide people a little bit more background and context um, as you come in. And, and just, you know, obviously a, a hug and a handshake and time spent with people is going to be the best way to get to know them, but let's provide some context for who you are, I guess. So, um you know, this doesn't have to be an autobiographical time, but just uh, kind of start us off talking about uh, how you grew up, uh, what that looked like for you, and then kind of move us into um, your time of coming to know Jesus as your Savior. Sure, sure. Well, we were joking earlier that I'm just so much older than you guys that this could really take a, a long, long time. As a, as a middle-aged man, I have a lot of life to share, and I do feel like I'm in that, that high-risk uh, COVID-19 category. Me... Harry, Rob Carnahan, <laughs> all, the, all the old guys. Those are the old guys I've met here. And uh, um, so, yeah, no, we could take a long time. I'll try to give you the, the condensed version, and you guys feel free to jump in with questions. Yeah. So uh, I was born in Portland, June 13th. If you're a uh, – I, I do accept gifts, even in a time of social distancing. So sure. June 13th, 1972, that makes me 47 years old. Um, Born to a 15-year-old single girl from Iowa who was sent back in those days, the way it worked, you get sent to live with your aunt for nine months if there was like a shameful pregnancy. Um, and so, yeah, I put up for adoption, adopted uh, by Lee and Peggy O'Dell. Shout out to Lee and Peggy. Uh, my parents still still in Portland to this day. And uh, yeah, one of four kids. I have three sisters. So that's the background bio. It's real interesting in the political conversation when we think about issues of abortion and adoption to to be one of those kids. It's like, well, yeah, 
I could have been aborted, and I praise God that you know, that's a strong Roman Catholic family that really they value the sanctity of life. Uh, and so I got put up for adoption, even though myself the the product of um, of a rape and of a, uh, a single pregnant young girl who was probably scared out of her mind about what had happened to her and being pregnant and all of that. So by God's grace, here I am. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's my origin story. That's wow. cool. Yeah. That's really unique. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how deep we want to get into that, but it is unique. My older sister is also adopted. So my parents didn't think they could have kids adopted, uh, my older sister, and then a year and a half later adopted me and then later had two kids naturally. So yeah, one wow. of four. Born in Portland, my parents, my dad's uh, former military, uh, was in on a nuclear submarine in the Navy, and um, they came to faith in as adults, I think, in their 20s. And so I was raised uh, going to a CB church out there on the west side of Portland, and when I was six, we moved to Washington to a little small logging community in western Washington, Elma, Washington. So I got a taste of the country, got to grow up there, and uh, grew up in small uh, CB churches. Yeah. So I was kind of one of those kids, uh, I, I would say, like, when people ask about my conversion, how I came to faith, it's sort of like I can't ever remember not knowing who Jesus is, and I, can't, I couldn't tell you the day I got saved. I can tell you that I asked Jesus into my heart like 1,900 times growing up in, in the 70s and the 80s, watching like Thief in the Night and just being worried that I, I wasn't going uh, to heaven if Jesus was to return. And, and um, so I baptized at 10 and probably missed, I would say, less than 10 church services my whole life. Like when Mount St. Helens erupted, we still went to church. <laughs> we were there Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evenings, that kind of life. That's so. Faithful. So yeah, there's um, pros and cons with that. The The pro is that um, believing in Jesus is as natural to me. I, sometimes I describe it like like wearing a seatbelt. And I'm actually really thankful that even when I was didn't want to go to church that my parents always made me, and it, it has provided uh, a foundation for me that even in my 20s when I had a period of rebellion and I, you know, I was frustrated with the church and frustrated with some of the things I saw and and a lot of my own anger issues that I was trying to wrestle out, I, I couldn't leave Jesus if I wanted to. I even tried, you know, and it just has always been such a central part of our life growing up. And so parents out there, if you have kids who don't want to come to church with you, keep, keep bringing them, keep taking them. It will uh, hopefully become similar to, to wearing a seatbelt in a car, you know, where you feel naked without it, that the church itself uh, and our collective experience of worshiping, worshiping Jesus together just becomes... Such a normal part of life that that when your own doubts come, your own faith comes, it's very very hard to walk away. So that's sort of my my faith background. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you mentioned going through a period of of rebellion in your twenties, which I think everybody's story incorporates to some level. At what point did you feel like God was putting a calling on your life um, that? that it became real to you and that um, this was something you wanted to really firmly commit to uh, as far as following Jesus and and then transition that into, you know, when did you feel like there was, um, when did that idea for a vocational ministry kind of come to yeah. you? Yeah, so I've, I've had several moments where I felt like God um, has called me and, and revealed 
uh, a life of ministry to me. And one of them was like really, really young when we were in Elma going to Central Park Baptist Church in Aberdeen, Washington. Shout out to Pastor Lynn Lloyd, if you're listening, Pastor Lloyd. Uh, probably not. I think he's probably in his in his late 80s. But um, there was a, a speaker that came in, traveling evangelist of some kind. I don't remember his name. I don't. All I remember is being so profoundly moved by by this idea that a guy would just travel around talking about Jesus, and he was very good, and I was very moved. And I remember going down the aisle, and I'm probably like it was close to when I was baptized, so 10 or 11 years old. And I at that point. I had a sense, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, and I knew I had a sense of assurance of my salvation. So I wasn't going to the altar to be born again, but I was going down to say, and I just told him through some tears, like, I want to do what you do. Hmm. So I don't know if 9, 10, 11-year-olds can be called into ministry, but I mean, that was profoundly real to me, and I remember it to this day. This is a sense of, I want to do that. I don't even know what that is, but you, you get to talk about Jesus in a way that connects with people and moves them, and I, I think think maybe I want to do that. So that was the first <laughs> one. When we moved back to Portland, right when I started junior high in high school, uh, I got involved in youth ministry for the first time. And so, um, you know, kind of as like a, a rowdy boy with three sisters, just sort of that, uh, the fun of youth ministry and college age guys who loved on you and cared for you and, and all the fun games of youth group. And then hearing about Jesus, learning scriptures in the context of youth ministry, that was really exciting for me. In my, the churches I grew up in were pretty formal. Sunday morning, you know, was not exactly uh, compelling to me. You know, I was glad to be there and glad to sing the songs. But, it, you know, when you're, when you're 12, I don't know how much you're, you're learning. Or at least for me, it wasn't connecting. Youth ministry connected. And so in that moment, I had a real sense of like, well, I'm going to do that. I'll be a youth pastor. And I, some of the issues in my own life uh, that even go back to being adopted, some some anger that I didn't understand in myself, um, some restlessness about what it meant to be a man, a young man, wrestling through puberty, all of that sort of stuff. Uh, youth ministry was a context where, you know, when my relationship with my parents was strained, I had these youth leaders who cared for me and sort of navigated that, that tension. And so then I thought, like, oh, I'll be a youth pastor. Like, what, what better thing to do than to help other teenagers navigate, you know, adolescence and the crisis of that and all of the stuff that's going on. So that was kind of like a second calling for me. Uh, and then I got really involved in, a, in an outreach ministry called Skate Church. And so it's a, it was like a youth ministry for skateboarding. And in the 80s, skateboarding had this explosion of popularity where everyone was riding a skateboard. And so two guys had moved up from San Luis Obispo, California, to go to Bible college at Multnomah. And they started a youth ministry building ramps for skateboarders. And so me and all my buddies, that's what we did. And then again, hearing the gospel in your own language. To these, I thought they were the coolest people in the world. Uh, you know, Clint Bidelman, Paul Anderson, there couldn't be anyone cooler than them. And they loved Jesus. And they talked about scripture in a way uh, that was new for me. And so then it's another, another insight into um, what, what faith looks like outside of the context of maybe what I was used to on a Sunday morning. And so those experiences... God kept using those to, uh, I think, to call me to a life uh, of proclaiming the gospel, teaching the Bible, and my own love for Scripture began to grow through all those things. So, yeah, that's sort of the longer version of it. Yeah, you had mentioned during your interview time that um, you came to vocational ministry kind of later in life. Um, 
what were you engaged in prior to that? And and then and then I, what was the wake up call that that you really that got you hooked on? This is what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, I actually started early in vocational ministry in the sense of like part time or paid internships. So at 18 years old, I took my first youth ministry intern with Mark DeMoz out in Washougal, Washington. And so I was always, you know, I was working at UPS and then also living in a parsonage and working part time in youth ministry. When I was 19, I did that at Skate Church. So like 19 through 25. You know, I was working at a skateboard or a snowboard shop and working at Skate Church, preaching the gospel, leading a team, learning how to do all those things, but it wasn't full-time. It was just, you know, a paid part-time gig. And finally, through all of that, I thought, like, if, I, if I'm really going to spend my life serving Jesus, preaching the gospel, teaching the Bible, I should probably go to Bible college. So I was a little bit of a late bloomer in the sense I just didn't love school in high school, didn't love, didn't want to go to college right out of high school. So I didn't start. I went to Bible college and did an undergrad at, at 25, 26 years old. And so this, when you're going to work in vocational ministry, often a full-time job comes after some, some formal education. At least for me, that was in the world I was in. It was, it was you needed to go to Bible college, get a degree, go to seminary, do those things. So, so yeah, my first full-time pastoral job was at 30. And is that Bonnie Lake Church? That was in Auburn, Washington as a youth pastor, uh, yeah, at a large church up there, and I was there for seven years. And then through all that, and and even prior to that, while I was at Bible college, I I got a real passion for church planning where I saw really sort of the same experience I had in youth ministry and in skate church where church plants are similar, where new forms, new expressions of the gospel, uh, hearing the gospel in the language of the people you're trying to reach, very almost like a missionary where you're engaging culture and trying to reach a certain aspect of, of your culture in a new way. I got a real vision for that in church planning. And so I thought like, man, that is so cool. I didn't even know you could do that and start new churches. And so when I took that first uh, youth ministry job in my interview, I said, I, I would love to learn how to, how to be a pastor full-time in a church and, and serve here for, for about five years and then go plant a church out of that. And so we ended up doing seven years and then planning a church in Sumner, Washington. So I lived in Bonnie Lake, the whole, if you're familiar with that area, a lot of little towns kind of on top of each other in like the urban sprawl of uh, South King County, Pierce County. What was that church plant like? How did it start? What was the genesis of it? What were those first few years like? Yeah, that's a great question. It, um, you know, it was it was one of those experiences where you don't know how to do a thing in, until you've done it. And so in hindsight, I really wish I, I would have had another church planter to mentor me through that. But the church that I was at went through a steep period of decline, uh, a lot of chaos, a lot of difficulty, staff layoffs, senior pastor left, that sort of thing. So when my wife and I left, we sort of left, um, we left voluntarily saying, the best way we can serve you is, is by stepping out at this moment. And, uh, and we had felt called to plant a church, but we, we didn't want to do it in the middle of a, another church that we had been serving at falling apart. And so we took a, just a year off and prayed and, and made plans and asked the Lord where, who should, we, who should we reach? Who are you calling us to? Where is that going to be? And we had thought of coming back to Oregon. We had a few different places on the map circle that we were praying about. And then God kept bringing people into our lives. And my wife was a school teacher in, in Sumner, Washington, teaching first grade. And so the principal there asked me to officiate her 
her daughter's wedding and another coworker, you know, wanted some counseling. And we realized that in our own backyard, there were people who didn't have a home church, who didn't know Jesus, that God had already placed us in their lives. And so the church grew out of that with, with two other families uh, from the church I had been at previously. We started in a living room with, with, uh, with no, no money, no people, no resources, but a real passion to see a, a new form of the gospel expressed in our community. So, yeah, started in the living room. I remember our first Easter Sunday, 35 people in my living room worshiping Jesus together. And out of that, a, a church grew, Gateway Chapel. Shout out to my, my people up at Gateway. I know you're listening. And uh, yeah, it, interesting time for them. Literally, the transition here to the Dalles was, was fairly unique. Uh, but with this crisis of COVID-19, uh, you know, two weeks after I leave Gateway Chapel, everything's shut down there as well. And so they're trying to navigate new times and figure out what it looks like, not only without a pastor, but without a place to meet and the ability to do that. So Interesting. Hindsight is a huge benefit. If you could look back on your time at Grace Chapel. Gateway Chapel. Excuse me. Yeah. Gateway Chapel. Chapel. I apologize to everybody listening. I just made so many enemies. <laughs> what I hated do you, you already. <laughs> what do you get a sense of what God was teaching you during that time, prepping you for? Were there times when you're like, I don't know what I'm doing here. This is a struggle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I mean, I think I think every pastor has so many moments of that. Like what, you know, where you you have a realization of of how dependent you are on Jesus to actually do something because you don't know what you're doing. You're you're constantly faced with things that are above your pay grade and beyond your experience. And so church planning is it's just an acceleration of that. Almost every single thing you do is the first time you've ever done it. And you're trying to cast vision in the middle of that. So, man, there, there were so many, you know, we did that for 10 years. And, and the church grew, but it grew slowly. So it, it felt like a struggle every single day, you know, the highs and lows. But, I, you know, as the, as the leader, you feel the lows so profoundly. So, you know, we used to, to just ask, like, man, is, is, is there a scenario in which this has really been mostly for me, for my own family, that it just is so as I'm trying to serve people and reach people, it was really a work being done in me, in my marriage, in our house over and over. We just thought like, man, I don't, I don't know if we're doing this right, but, but look what God is doing in our own lives. So yeah, you know, in hindsight, I I don't, I love church planning. I hope to be part of church planning here at Calvary that we raise up some church planners and send people out. Um, But I really don't advocate for doing it the way we did it, being that alone and disconnected was just too difficult. Some people are wired to do that and succeed at it. I really, really struggled. You feel alone. Uh, you, f- you feel under-resourced, and it can just be really discouraging. But at the same time, what God does through that kind of stuff is so cool. So because you have no resources, you know, you're, you're putting a 13-year-old kid up on, on Sunday morning with an acoustic guitar and, and saying, like, okay, you're leading worship with us. And it so it stretches the people that you're with, and we saw God do so many amazing things through that time. But, but yeah, it's uh, it's not church planning is not for the faint of heart. It, it forces you in a really good way uh, in everything to be dependent on the Lord. So, I think that's that's the overall the theme of the last ten years is increasing awareness of my own 
limitations and how God is faithful in all of that to still do a good work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a it was a humbling time. I wanted to plant a church when I was like 24 when I first learned about it and I had, had all that fire and you know, I know the way to do this and here's what's wrong with the church. We're going to go do this and this and that, you know. And uh, I'm I'm just so thankful God spared me the pain of that. And, and instead what we saw planning in my 30s was just a slow faithful movement of discipleship and following Jesus and um, the people of Gateway Chapel just became family and we saw God do great stuff. Awesome. Do you feel like that theme that you talked about um, relying on God's faithfulness and, and stretching of resources, does that hold some parallels for you as you kind of come into your time here in the Dalles and it is way different than you thought it would be? Yeah. Oh man, it's so funny because a big part of coming to Calvary for me, and this is, uh, this will sound a little bit superficial, but if you lived my last 10 years, you'd totally get it. Like an office. You mean I can have my own <laughs> office that I, with a phone and a computer, I'm not going to be in my garage and my sweatpants. Right. And so like the resources of, which are way more familiar to me because I have worked at large churches and grown up in, to have a building, to have a team, to have, uh, people who are excited and trained and ready to go. Like all of those things, uh, I was just, I have files, pages, Bobby, of, of things I was looking forward to and excited about. And then they were gone instantly on day one. Just all of it gone. Not gone. I mean, it's still here. But we're not meeting like that on a Sunday. We're not running youth ministries. We're not, we're not doing all of those programs. And so, yeah, it was just sort of like, you know, what's the proverb? Man makes plans and God laughs. It was just a real, it was, a, it was James chapter four, you know. A reminder that went, you know, let me, I actually brought it here. I wanted to read it, but I don't know if I have it uh, bookmarked, so it'll take me a minute. But in James 4, when he's talking about, like, hey, if, for people who think you're, I'm going to go to this city in a year, and I'm going to do these things and prosper, and there's a reminder, like, to say, God God willing, if, if the Lord wills, we'll go do those things. And that's that's just how this transition has been, a real reminder of of nothing wrong with planning. Riley, you were talking about how much you're a planner and how you like to plan. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good thing. And I have uh, a lot of plans and dreams and things that I thought the Lord was putting on my heart for this transition. And, and that wasn't his will. And so, yeah, we're scrambling and trying to figure it out, but I think it's, it's good. So yeah, maybe, maybe in a sense, 10 years of church planning in, in, in dry ground with, with low resources has prepared my family in a unique way for this. Yeah. Bobby and Riley, I wanted to get some thoughts from you on your perspective, being a part of the Church of Calvary for a long time, being on staff here. How do you feel like God has prepared the body here at Calvary to receive David and to kind of submit to his new role to be led by him? Yeah. Um, So I think one thing that's been amazing to me through this season and process that we've been walking through is is um, just watching the people and their commitment to the bride itself uh, and the absence of of things like bitterness or um, uh, division um, truthfully walking forward as a body that wants to see God's will done um, and looking to um, to God to see who would be the next person to lead us. And so um, that's been that's been awesome. Just seeing seeing God's church be God's church and and looking to His will. And so um, I've been a part of church planting as well as a worship leader. Um, and um, we planted a church out of um, 
what we thought people should have done. So we we broke off from a church because of of problems and issues, and then we started a church based out of division, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like we we're gonna do it better. We're gonna do it the way that it should happen, and which is which is just so uh, so counter to what God's church is meant to be. Yeah, which is a unified body of differing parts, and. Um, and so to see God's church here at Calvary walk through a transition and, and even what, what could have been very divisive, that could have been um, really decimating to, to our family here at, at Calvary, and seeing God be the glue that kept this whole mm-hmm. thing together um, was just hugely encouraging to me. And so having someone come in, having David come in now to, to really to a place that's healthy, but has areas to grow. And I would say, we talked about a little bit in our last podcast, um, some of our biggest growth areas are what to stop doing, not to what to start doing. Uh, and, and so um, God, God just continues to provide and answer our prayers in those, in those things. And, and so we are, we're, we're very blessed to be offered those kind of creature comforts that don't come from. Uh, church plants. When you're when you're church planting, you have this sort of like excitement that the same sort of excitement all of us here have been a part of of uh, being a part of a child birth. In some, I'm not me personally or Joel or David, but we've been there. Me. And there's this anticipation <laughs> and there's this excitement and something new is happening and God's doing it. But there's this immense fear, like what if this goes terribly? What if we fail? What if what you know? What if this happens? And, and that's the feeling that you get when you are a part of like a church in a normal building. And then church planting is like that, but you're camping when it happens. And, and it's that you don't have the creature comforts. You Burning don't have the, the doctor, hospital. right? You don't have the doctor <laughs> and the nurse there. You've got your phone and like a pair of pliers and your best shot. Like, here we go. You're having a baby. Like, that's what church planting kind of winds up being. And so like what David talked about um, in having those connections with churches and people that are still established with with resources and if nothing else, I mean, especially prayer and encouragement to um, the members who are a part of that process. But um, yeah, doing it alone, like like what David talked about and kind of the way that we chose to birth it um, by doing it out of kind of a spite separated us from those things, those encouragements, those people who had the wisdom that we didn't have. And um, for me, seeing Calvary where we're at now is we're, we're, we're healthy and we're well and we're not pushing out of a season of man, that was terrible, we're going to move forward, we really are, we've remained faithful, we've remained in God's will and, and looking to what he would have for us, so it's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, we did a lot of growth in the last year, and there's, a, there's, there's some togetherness here that I think is a good place for David to come into. We, we, aren't, we weren't waiting for a guy to come in and fix it, Yeah. right? He is coming into a place that I feel like God has done a lot of good things in the last year. I don't. What do you feel, Riley? How, how has God grown Calvary and kind of made it a good, potentially fertile soil for David to come in and and so so further seeds of growth? Yeah, I think one thing that's really stood out to me in the last year is watching people step into their calling like never before. Watching people step into their gifts of teaching or their gifts of pastoring and counseling um, and caring for one another. Like I'd never seen at Calvary before that. Um, So it was just really cool during a time where people were kind of like, 
oh, are we going to have a church in a year? Mm. Instead of people dispersing and leaving and being bitter towards one another, I saw a church be a family like I'd never experienced in my own family or in my life before. I saw people come together and pray and encourage each other. And through that, people stepped up. And we have the elders that we have now because they are gifted and they should be elders. And they stepped up and into that elder role and have been leading so well. Um, and so it's just been really cool to see the church unify despite the fears or the anxiety of what might happen to our church and for people to be encouraging and loving and caring um, and to step into their calling and to to not be complacent just expecting you know the big guy to come in and lead our church and do all the things and make all the decisions but seeing people say no Calvary needs leaders it doesn't need a leader because we have a leader and that's Jesus but it needs men and women that are willing to step up into their calling lead their families and lead the people around them and that's something that I've seen at Calvary that has just been so cool yeah we saw that also it was really attractive to it's one of the things that comes out of church planning or any church that faces a crisis like you faced here is that you at the end of it you go well the church belongs to Jesus it does Mm -hmm. belong to Jesus he is the head of it it is his and all the things we were trying to do and all the programs or forms or, you know, all of it, it's supposed to be for Jesus. And so yeah. in your desperation or in your crisis, this is just a huge gift. Like, yeah. okay, this is about Jesus. How can we serve? How can we lead? How can we care for one another? But in his name, by his spirit, you know, that he might bless us and do something and continue to expand his church in this time and place. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic, man. That sounds like a good place to end it. Riley, how can people connect with us here at the church? Uh, yeah, during this time where we're not really gathering on Sundays, um, I would just encourage people to tune into our live stream on Sundays. Tune into those on Sunday mornings and go check out our Facebook page. We have a lot of super awesome content coming up uh, with our elders going live and engaging uh, people through Facebook. And we also have some Facebook groups that I think are really great to be a part of. It's been cool to watch people in our Calvary family post and share prayer requests and respond to one another um, and encourage one another. So if you're feeling isolated during this time, you don't have to be. Engage one another. Our office is closed, but we are still available. We are still taking phone calls and looking at emails. So call us, email us, uh, reach out to us. Yeah, and don't forget to go to calvarythedallas.org. You can give on our online giving platform there on the website. Uh, Again, we are looking um, in the very near future to set up a designated fund to help those that are affected by the coronavirus. So if that's on your heart, please reach out to us and we can help you with that. Um, There's going to be people in your own neighborhoods that are affected by this. Please don't wait for some organization or someone else to help them or at least reach out to them in prayer. Reach out to them yourself. See how you can be helpful to them. Um, And like I've told these guys, at my house we only have two rules, um, and one of them is be kind, and the other one is don't cough in each other's mouths. So as you are looking to help your neighbors, um, that kindness extends to um, meeting them right where they're at. And if they say, uh, I don't need your help because I don't want to get sick, please be kind to them and love them in that way. And if they say, I need someone to pick up groceries, or I need someone to come and help me mow the lawn or something, we are the church. The church building has no power. The Spirit of God lives in each one of us. Go be the church to those around you and give generously. Um, Thanks. 
Thanks, Bobby. Thank you all for joining us. We will see you on the next one.